This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sexy sex expert, Dr. Cat. All right, throwback Thursday moment even though it's Wednesday when we launched this. <laughs> but what was the attitude around sex in your family and in your culture? Or even how was it discussed? Or was it discussed at all? <laughs> I know for me, I grew up in a small town, traditional Catholic family, and the most education that I received was about the mechanics of my pussy. Obviously, that term wasn't used. <laughs> and how to stay abstinent in my Catholic tradition. And I think about that now <laughs> in retrospect, and I'm like, oh my God, if they could only hear me now, and maybe they are, maybe they're secretly listening to my episode on BDSM and orgies in their car or in their closet. And I know that I don't have an episode on orgies yet, but don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> and I'm reminded, <laughs> you know, with all of this, the, the, my Catholic upbringing and going to Catholic school. And I'm reminded of this scene in Mean Girls, and maybe you all will resonate with me, where that Coach Carr character, he said, you know, don't have sex because you will get pregnant and you will die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Okay, promise? Okay, now everyone grab a rubber. And that pretty much sums up my experience <laughs> with sex education and when I was younger. Luckily, I decided to dive in a little bit deeper and not claim that as my reality around sexuality. And <laughs> now if you're a subscriber to my show, then you are probably sex positive yourself, or at least you're curious about embodying a sex positive lifestyle. And maybe you have teens and maybe you have kids yourself with whom you want to foster that healthier, more accurate depiction of sexual health and pleasure. And I get that this may make us feel nervous. You know, how do we talk about the birds and the bees in a way that doesn't scar our kids' future or present relationship around sexuality and their body? And especially with all the messages that are going on in our society, like what do we actually do with this? And we're getting all kinds of different contradicting messages. So don't worry, sit back, relax, drink your organic matcha tea. I've got the badass Gia Lin on here to give us tips on how to raise our youth in a sex positive culture. Oh, thank the Lord. But lovers... <laughs> Before we get to Gia, you are the reason that I do the show. And I want to thank you for tuning in, for spreading the word and leaving reviews, because that really helps me to spread the word to more of us out there and help us to change this culture to be more sex positive. I absolutely love getting messages from you all telling me about the takeaways and the insights that you've been discovering, because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex 
better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. So I'm so excited. Thank you, Gia, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> she's so cute. I turned on the, ca- <laughs> I'm going to tell them the story. <laughs> I turned on the camera and she's got these two paper lanterns, these white paper lanterns behind her head. And they looked like ears. They looked like Mickey, white, white Mickey Mouse ears. And I was like, oh my God, she critters like me. And, then <laughs> <super good. laughs> and I realized they were lanterns, but I was like, oh, I definitely have cat ears that I could put mine on and you can wear yours. And it could be like this cat and mouse interview and it'd be so cute. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, great. sounds like a great uh, follow-up uh, yeah. podcast. <laughs> Too bad you ruined my fantasy by moving your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is going to be great if you haven't tasted the the atmosphere of how this is going to go already <laughs> this is going to really dive in to talk about how we can you know support our kids and support each other and having more of a sex positive culture and Gia Lin is this epic writer educator and personal coach. She actually just wrote this book that just launched recently. It's called On Blossoming. And it's about frank and practical advice on our bodies, about sexual health, sensuality, pleasure, orgasm, all the things that you probably didn't learn in grade school, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But wanted to know most likely. (laughs) Yeah, we wanted to know. And uh, (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm wondering about you because I know how I learned about my sexuality growing up, um, especially because it was lacking there. But um, you actually had a different experience as you know growing up and uh, your sex education. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about it in your book. Can you describe, I I think this is going to be like the unicorn example for people, but maybe it'll be, I I think it's a great model for people to understand how it can be talked about. What did that look like in your family? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, the unicorn example, because I guess I actually get that a lot. People are like, well, good for you, but um, (laughs) there's no way that I can create that. And when it's actually... I beg to differ because my parents used um, principles and had a philosophy with raising me and my sister that is actually repeatable for anybody really out there who wants to have, you know, sex positive um, kids and have, you know, kind of good positive relationships with uh, the people around them. So um, thank you for asking. But yeah, I... Grew up in an intentional community, which in this case is a uh, a group of people who decided they wanted to live together to have the most fun possible. And they're like, you know, we're only we've got one life. How can we do this to have the most fun? And they developed a philosophy around pleasurable living and positive mm. communication and healthy relationships. And it's a a teaching body. They teach courses and things like that. So uh, my sister and I were raised in this environment, and when we you know got closer to puberty, uh, we were given a lot more information, you know, in usually short conversations, but um, bits and pieces, but it was, it was, they created a space for us where we could ask any of the questions that we had. And we knew we weren't going to, there wasn't going to be any like 
really negative or even a positive response. It, our questions would just be answered and that they created this open um, dialogue with us that really actually just goes on to this day. Um, started when we were pre-puberty and has continued on. So That's so amazing. And I'm thinking of this, you know, this intentional living. It's like you pick, I don't know, is this like you pick your neighbors? Like, <laughs> does everybody live in the same house or how does that look? Yeah, kind of. It's, um, it, it's looked a lot of different ways over the years, but basically, yeah, we did all choose each other and, you know, different people have lived in the community over time. Um, but it's, we all, we live together by agreement. Essentially, we all agree that we want to live this way. So we don't live together necessarily because like, oh, rent is cheap or something like that. We do it because we want, you know, to have an, you know, an intentional community experience. So living essentially with our closest friends and those are friendships that we, you know, develop over time and through, um, you know, through communicating and things like that. So, um, yeah, we created a deliberate experience together. Wow. That's so fun. I know exactly the type of friends that I want to be living with. I'm going to call them after this. Hey, do you want to make a little mini tribe? <laughs> Go for it. It's, yeah. It worked out well for uh, my parents. So <laughs> I love it. That's so great. I can imagine in that too, you're creating this microcosm of um, the types of values and the types of messaging that you want to instill in one another or support in one another. Absolutely. You know, there's a, um, there's a predominant, you know, culture out there about how relationships are supposed to work and what, um, things we're supposed to achieve. And that varies, you know, culturally, of course, but there's, you know, a generally, there's a general model out there for relationships and how they're supposed to work. And so, uh, when they first started this community, they just started with the idea of friendship and developing, you know, real, uh, friendships, like, uh, in that um, they were relationships that were uh, very close and in telling each other the truth and deliberately, you know, forming these positive, um, really sustainable relationships. And so mm. um, I mentioned the, you know, sort of predominant culture because it's not really how people, you know, form most of their relationships. So, um, you know, by living together, we're able to support each other and encourage each other to live by these uh, pleasurable viewpoints because it makes our lives better. And um, yeah. So. What a revolutionary thing to say around the concept of pleasure. <laughs> because I feel like, in our society, we're a lot more focused on avoiding criticism or avoiding punishment to make our decisions. And you're like, no, let's bring in the pleasure principles. And, and, and it's a real goal and it's, and it's valid to have this. Absolutely. And, and fun. I think you even said that in your book. I like highlighted it and then starred, starred, starred next to it. <laughs> where Your dad told you that as a kid, that fun was an honorable goal. Yes, absolutely. I think you're right on when you're talking about the emphasis on sort of avoiding bad or avoiding criticism. I think that, you know, the, one of the ways that I talk about that in the book is that we typically live in what I've described as a production oriented society where it's mm -hmm. on what you can produce. So you get the good, you get the job, you know, get the money, you get the career, you get the family, you get the, you know, the house and the dog and all these things, which is good. Those are all great. I mean, I love houses yeah. and I love dogs and things, you know, it's great. <laughs> and, you know, there's what, 
we and I believe is that there's a lot more to life than just getting those really like physical things or, or really even just having your attention on producing those things that really the opposite of that is this idea of, you know, a pleasurable life where you're incorporating, um, you know, the philosophy of pleasure, which, you know, when I say the word pleasure, people often think like, I'm just using a euphemism for sex when I'm actually not like, I really, I do mean pleasure in the truest sense of the word where it's more about um, taking in your senses, taking in the sensory information that's available to you, living in present time, taking, you know, the time to communicate with the people that are important to you in your life and so that you can build positive relationships. It's it's like, it's an inclusive term that um, is really like kind of those, those things that, you know, even as I say them, it's probably sound a little frivolous, like, oh, taking in your senses or something like that. But really, it's, it's a whole, it's an outlook on life that um, I've found, you know, makes leads to true, you know, happiness, a sustainable form of happiness and leading a happy life. So I totally, oh my God. So I totally ascribe to this mentality as well. And on Instagram, sometimes I'll, I'll post in my stories and I'll put um, today's pleasure brought to you by, and I'm like licking my ice cream, you know, or I'm like <laughs> smelling my coffee or something, you know, and it's, I, 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 I'm totally with you. It, it's as if it makes each of these moments and even the mundane things richer. Absolutely. Those are excellent examples. And I talk about, you know, you talked about ice cream and coffee, but yeah, I talk about tea all the time. It's like, you know, yeah, we're all going to drink like whatever caffeinated beverage or, (laughs) or hot water, whatever, whatever your thing is that you do in the morning. Hot water. Yeah. Yeah, There's people who have caffeine sensitivity. So, you know, try to be open about this, but you're going to drink hot water this morning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to do your thing though. We have our routines, you know, and I'm like, well, why? Why not? It doesn't actually take any more time to put your attention on what you're creating and um, and and enjoy it. It takes no more time, but we get so caught up in our, you know, our production values that it's like, okay, I just need to drink this and then I go to work or, mm-hmm. I, you know, I get on my computer or whatever it is. And it's like, actually, it is like, just as you said, it's these, it's these often small moments that when you do take that um, deliberate time or moment, um, it adds up, has a cumulative effect on your daily life and then on your whole life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I bet my mornings have more pleasure in them than your mornings do. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Is that, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to vary person by person. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's not a competition. <laughs> So I'd be curious about, so as you're describing, you know, describing, um, shifting into more of this, um, pleasure mentality around talking about sex, how do you currently see these trends of sex education for our youth and teens? Cause I, I can imagine it's changed since when we were younger. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it absolutely has, it is changing and it really, I mean, it depends place by place. There's obviously places in, you know, our country where um, just having sex ed, you know, besides, you know, abstinence only education is, is not happening. There's, you know, there's none of that. So it really depends. But I would say that overall, and especially online, 
more and more educators are coming out and, and acknowledging the importance of talking about pleasure. And I think a lot of that's come out of what's uh, being discussed with the Me Too movement and the various mm-hmm. um, conversations that have really gotten started where it's like, you know, people are obviously approaching sex uh, with with not with pleasure in mind to say, <laughs> to yeah. put it simply, you know, and it's I'm really grateful that people are now in a place where they can talk about the, you know, the negative experience that have happened because now it's out there and it's in people's faces. And it's like, you know what, we need change. And mm-hmm. so coming out of that, I've seen so many more people who are saying, you know what, we, we have to talk about this with kids. Yes, it is awkward. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Be, but it's only awkward because we make it awkward. I mean, <laughs> you're, the recipient of the information may feel <laughs> their stuff about it. But, you know, with we, you know, as educators or as parents or guardians or friends, the more we come at this information from knowing that this is right and this is part of being human, then we can have these really important conversations because really that's what it's going to take, you know, the, the, the school systems and the like sort of public institutions, they're not moving as quickly as the culture is moving and as quickly as we are on social media and these various platforms. So, you know, it's really important. And I'm seeing these conversations starting to change, shifting towards pleasure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. How would, so, so we're empowering our parents to be able to, uh, be the main influencers of their kids' understanding of around sexuality. And so to start with, as you're saying, change the mindset that we have around sex. It's not something to shy away from or to be awkward about, but to to own it as a natural part of of who we are. Absolutely. And that influences how we talk about it how Absolutely. we can bring it up. Mm. Yeah. I um and I think, you know, a lot of parents, a lot of the people, the generation that's raising teens right now, they, from the research I've done, they really didn't receive sex education. That, that generation is the, from, you know, the various conversations I've had, you know, they found out about their periods mainly by having them, or if Mm -hmm. they did have some sort of sex education, it would probably be, okay, you're going to have a period, you know, or like, (laughs) here's a condom, you know, and and not really a conversation around it or, you know, any support from any kind of, you know, community in us. And certainly they didn't have any, you know, online resources. So I appreciate the fact that these conversations are challenging because they don't have necessarily a model that they're coming from where they're like, well, my parents talked to me about this. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I I acknowledge the fact that this is not easy, you know, but um, to whoever's listening, you know, way to go for doing the research. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for finding us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So how would you suggest people introduce the conversations to their kids or even what age to start this conversation at? That's a great question. And I have a couple of things to say about that. One of which is that it's important to know that there's no like one size fits all for sex mm-hmm. education. And I feel like a lot of times people will ask me for a script. They're like, okay, what do I say? And what, what, <laughs> okay, what should I, they're like, okay, you don't want to give me a script, but, but um, tell me what I really should include. You know, I'm like, they're still like really intent on this, which I appreciate because it's like, that is, that would be handy, but everybody <laughs> has their own cultural values or their own situation. Maybe the kid, their child or 
person they're raising. Maybe they're in public school. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're getting some school support. So it's, it's difficult. So the thing that I always emphasize is thinking about, you know, okay, not just, okay, what do kids need to know, but what is, what is the position and circumstances of your child? What is, and what are your goals? Like, what is it that you want them to know? Do you want them to know about uh, the mechanics of their body? Do you want them to know about pleasure? Do you want them to know about how sex works? Like, what is it that you want to achieve? And because really, the other part of this is it's, it's an ongoing conversation. And people talk about like, oh, having the conversation with their kid. I'm like, oh my goodness. You mean the hundreds of conversations? Because <laughs> this is something that's really, you know, it's an ongoing thing. And, and as far as, um, you know, what age, I would say, of course, I would encourage these conversations to start young. And you know, which is not to say that anyone who's listening to this who's listening to a teen who hasn't had these conversations, you know, it's not too late. It can start anytime, really. But I, like I think people who have young children um, starting these conversations, and obviously you're going to temper it by age, but there are things that you can model to your child um, about pleasure that start even before a conversation. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that we as humans, we learn through observing one another. Mm -hmm. And if you are a person who values pleasure and um, has good communication and has healthy relationships and things like that, or if these are things that you're valuing, that you value for yourself, um, your child is going to learn from that. And that's going to, that's one really great starting place. Oh, and yeah. so, um, and then the other thing is with young kids, giving them the vocabulary to talk about their body. That's a really important thing. Um, you know, one of the things that Peggy Ornstein points out in her book, Girls and Sex, which I oh, really loved, was that yes. she's like, we don't give girls all the names for their body parts. You know, it's like if, if we do talk to them about their you know, general area, we'll talk about, it's like a purse or, you know, like all these like kind of cutesy names, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, boys get penises or at least they get peepees, but you know, it's, <laughs> we don't, we're even more, you know, squeamish. And it's like, well, mm. you know, if you, in this one very specific topic, if you show your kid that this is something to be squeamish about and something to be embarrassed or ashamed about that, they're going to take that on for themselves. And feel like, oh, this is a private place that I can't talk about. Well, you know, yes, it is, you know, a private area in that, you know, we wear clothing and things like that. But it certainly should be an area that you are able to talk about. So giving it the, the name, you know, um, vulva for the external area is really important because then mm -hmm. you're empowering that person to feel like they this is an area they can talk about whether that's in a medical situation or later on in their life when they're in an intimate situation. Mm, I love that. It's like giving it a name creates a relationship with your genitals. Exactly. 
Exactly. You make it something that is mentionable and communicable. So it's mm-hmm. really important. That's a question I always ask my clients. So when I, when I see, well, men and women, when they first come in, I ask them, you know, what do you refer you to your genitals as? And so many of them have told me, uh, I actually never thought about it, you know, and, and then asking them about how did they talk about it with their parents? And a lot of times their answer, you know, nine out of 10 is like down there. Exactly. That's a, that's a large area. I know. <laughs> Down there from where? Like, <laughs> it's like, it reminds me, of, it makes me think of like Australia or something. Down, there. <laughs> Down under. <laughs> <laughs> Down under. Yes. <laughs> and then another common experience that I will hear from people, and this can be I guess all of these experiences being young influences how we see sex and how we interact with sex. But another one that really stands out for me is um, I'll get parents who ask me, well, what do I do when my kids like masturbating in the living room or touching themselves? And I, I know uh, from stories of friends and, and from clients of these memories of being caught by their parents and, or their grandparents and been told, don't do that. That's dirty. Stop it. Don't touch yourself. You know, all this stuff. And that can cause so much contraction in a, in our youth, you know, in our, in our, in our littles, in our little human. And, uh, but what do parents like, they don't know what to say, Absolutely. like how to address that. Yeah. That's a really good that's a really good uh, question. And I actually recently got asked that somebody in my sort of extended community, she has this body of information and she's a sex positive person, but she expressed to me this exact same situation. She's like, she has a daughter who, you know, she loves touching herself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she, and me the, too. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, go, go you. <laughs> but, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But she felt the, the mom, you know, she felt a lot of fear around, you know, like, what do I like wanting to protect her daughter? And so I thought, um, you know, wow, I was really glad that she brought it up. And so, you know, I think that the great referring to what I said earlier about modeling pleasure for you're little or you're the person that you're you're, um, guiding is, you know, because I think a lot of those stories that you reference, the person, you know, the parent brought their own, you know, negative messaging about masturbating to that person. And then they sort of created that uh, sort of a narrative for that person that masturbation is wrong. So I think if Mm -hmm. you're approaching that situation with a different mindset that, you know what, masturbation is good. Mm-hmm. you're going to have a different way of communicating with a child. And so I think um, that's the first step is, mm-hmm. you know, knowing for yourself that masturbation is good. It's healthy. It's a great part of being human. It's something to take advantage of. And then you can go into being like, okay, but you know, the living room is not the best place to do that. So then you can approach the person from a calm um approving standpoint. That's one thing that's a really useful tool that I talk about in my book is that you can approve, you know, decide what's happening in front of you is good, really, regardless of what it is. And then communicating from that place, you'll, you'll have, they'll have the words, you know, you know, like, um, Hey, you know, 
so glad you're doing that. Why don't you, why don't you come into your bedroom? Cause that is the mm. best place to do that or whatever, you know, again, I don't like doing scripts, but you'll, ha- you'll find the words when you're coming from these, um, really positive, um, mental standpoints for yourself. Mm, yeah. So what I hear you say is this, it's a very permission based permission, but directive. Mm-hmm. So uh, accepting and allowing our child in their natural human experiences while also directing them into a place that, that may be more, um, I guess, supportive, positive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that I like the use of the word directive because I think that sometimes I see, you know, parents are like, you know, they don't want to like, um, you know, harm their child's, you know, so they want to be very positive, you know, but yeah, Mm -hmm. you do have to direct them. You're a parent, you know, so (laughs) it's your job to make sure they are safe and, you know, and it's because you're really, you know, what I found is you're molding a person and you're molding their values. And so kids don't know that, uh, you know, that masturbating in the living room or wherever is, is, is not a great thing because it's not safe. You know, who, you know, the postman may come in, you know, who knows, you know, it's not a private yeah. area. So <laughs> kids don't know that. They don't have any like value on that. So, right. you know, you're, you want to sort of guide them and direct them and, you know, but being particularly aware around the, the messaging you give them around um, their own sensuality, because you got to know they are going to learn all the negative messaging that they need as soon as they're, you know, old enough to start going to school and start, you know, going out on their own. Our society will make sure to let people know uh, what they should not be doing. So having somebody who is saying masturbation is good and, you know, here's the right place for that to happen, you can be that positive voice and, um, and a really strong voice because parents make a huge impact on uh, the people that they raise. Yeah. Wow. And that poor word masturbation has just gotten the brunt of so much, so much hate and disgust and like all the things. (laughs) It's such a, it's such a strange sounding word too. I did not, I, I didn't like the word masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I tend to use the word self-pleasure more. Yes. I like that. I like that word a lot. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, clearly, pleasure is in like every other word of your sentence. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I also heard you say um, in that last part about sensuality. And in your book, you talk about the difference between sensuality and sexuality. Can you expand upon that here? Yes. So in, from my view, um, and this ties back into what I was talking about earlier about a production-oriented society versus a pleasure-oriented uh, mm-hmm. society or, or uh, viewpoint. And so sexuality is a term that I use to have to do with reproduction. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the way we talk about sex is usually about that. Whether or not the people involved are actually reproducing at all, it doesn't really, <laughs> it, it's, it's more about, about the sort of results or goal driven yeah. um, sexuality. So it's like, okay, you know, about like, uh, there's a lot of emphasis, for example, on climax. Like that's one of the things that needs oh, to be yeah. re- produced from a sexual act. So, um, in most cases. And, but sensuality, 
is more in that is in that pleasure model where you're taking in all of the sensory information that's available to you in any given experience. And so when you're approaching sex from a um, from a sensuality perspective, you're taking in the entire experience. And mm. in the example of climax, climax might be a part of that. It might not, but it it's like one one peak or one taste or flavor in the entire experience. And when you approach your sex life from that vantage point, then you're already having a good time. You're already mm. winning. And the really the other person doesn't have to produce anything actually from that standpoint. And if you've got two people who are approaching a sex act from that vantage point, then you're really going to have a good time because yeah. you've already got people who are ha- starting from a place of fun as opposed to needing something to be given to them or mm. needing a per- particular outcome. So I talk about the sensuality um, in the book is really sort of a platform for how I uh, talk about all of the topics in the book, whether that's communication or orgasm or um, any of the number of topics. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, by the way that you describe it, we're also reducing you know, some of these issues that we have around um, difficulties with maintaining erections, or maybe we have trouble with orgasms, but it, it suggests, hey, sex can be way more than just this, uh, this image of penetrative orgasmic sex that we often get perpetuated in our social image. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, Yes, I think there is so much emphasis on what you just said, penetrative sex and, you know, create at least one orgasm (laughs) (laughs) for each person who's involved. And, you know, and I think that um, it is much more inclusive than that. And um, that it doesn't need to be so focused on one thing. And I think that, you know, one thing that people forget is that, man, we are as humans, we are gifted with these amazing sensory receptors, whether that's in our fingertips or our eyes or our tongue. Like, and even saying those things, there's like particular sex acts that probably jump up. But I'm talking about like, you know, you know, touching your own arm and just, you know, feeling what your arm, your arm hair feels like, or mm-hmm. you know, touching your partner's shoulder. Like it really, like it starts with the simplest, simplest steps where you can experience an immense amount of pleasure from these in, like really seemingly simple things that I just mentioned. Um, and so, you know, and then you can build from there as opposed to waiting for, you know, a particular moment. And that's when you experience your pleasure. You know, that's such a good, I love the image that you just created for us because as me, who I sit a lot of times in front of my computer or I'm at workshops and stuff like that. And I noticed that since I had started practicing paying more attention to pleasure as a lifestyle, I will unconsciously be touching myself, you know, like Mm -hmm. petting my legs or stroking my arms, or I do this thing where like my hand goes to my, my sternum and I'm just like, petting it, you know, just like mm-hmm. feeling it and, and not even, I'm, I'm like conscious, I'm unconsciously conscious of it or <laughs> consciously mm-hmm. conscious, but, um, I, I've noticed that, um, even relaxing into the body more 
Absolutely. as a result of that. Yeah, definitely sounds like you're conscious of it. And uh, <laughs> I think that's a really good point because I think that we are really conditioned to um, turn off and ignore certain parts of our body. You know, it's like, you know, it's exactly what you're at work, but really, you know, when you think about it, it's um, amazing how much of that is available to us and doing something like, you know, yeah, sitting at your computer. I mean, wow, what are your, what do your fingertips feel like against those, those um, keys, you know, mm-hmm. how often do we pay attention to something like that, you know? And so we can really get pleasure from really many, many areas of our lives. And then, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a building. You, you turn on your body and you, you build these good experiences. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oof. So all of these, these um, great experiences of modeling sex positive attitudes. I would also wonder about, because right now I get a lot of questions from people about the concept of consent mm-hmm. and communicating consent. Well, I'm seeing it in my own acro yoga community where they want to bring more, more conversations around consent. So that's in regards to adults. But then when we bring this concept to kids, how mm-hmm. do we break it down in a way that they can understand more? Yeah, it's an excellent question and something that I'm really glad that is is coming up, like you said, your macro yoga community. And I've seen it, you know, at my gym or various things like it's it's this is a, a topic that people are confronting. And so one of the stories I talk about in my book is how when I was raised, you know, I grew up in this um, communal environment with lots of people, lots of adults and, you know, and. Um, we would have house meetings. This is just one example, but so mm-hmm. occasionally I would be at the house meetings. And one thing I realized looking back is that uh, when we were discussing something like say planting the garden or whatever, like group activity we're going to be doing when I, if I wanted to speak about the garden or whatever I thought should be happening, people listened to me. It was, they, everybody would put their attention on me and they would listen. And, Mm. you know, as a, as a kid, I had pretty limited gardening experience, but (laughs) it was still, and so they probably didn't do what I said necessarily, but the, they, it would still be of, of consideration. Mm. And I knew, and that is how I learned that what I had to say mattered and that people listened to me. And so when the thing that I think is really interesting about these kinds, this conversation around consent is that we are constantly messaging to young people that what they have to say doesn't really matter or that when they're an adult, that's when their voice gets to matter. And I think there's a difference between attention, listening to what somebody has to say, and you don't have to necessarily do what they say, but if you, if the people can feel when their communications are being heard. And so that is how you can teach somebody to, you know, that there's value to what they have to say. And because it's too, it's, it's to say that, oh, now you're an adult and now listen to you. You've already had 18 or 20 years of of not being listened to. So it's, it's like people expect some sort of a jumpstart or turnover, like, well, you turn 18 and now you're an adult. And, and that's only legally true. It's really (laughs) set up these fundamental things early on. Um, so that people, you know, and in this case, um, young women in particular, you know, they're not 
trained and taught and conditioned that um, that their yes does mean yes and that yeah. their no does mean no. So it has to start a lot earlier than um, you know a sex ed class where now you're learning about consent. That's great. Okay, I'm glad those conversations are happening, but yeah. we can do a lot better than that. Yeah. I love that. So incorporating consent into, you know, not only the sex, the topics around sexuality, but in consent and everything that we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the woman um, who runs Sex Positive Families, she mm-hmm. pointed this out to me, or I not to me, but I watched this, I saw this on her social media, um, that she talked about how, you know, with tickling, for example, that you know, kids get tickled way often, way beyond they want them of them wanting to be tickled, you know, and they're saying no, but we keep going. And so we're yeah. telling them right there that um, that their no doesn't mean anything. And I'm going to keep doing this thing that's beyond what your will is. And that really got me because I've tickled, you know, I've had cu- younger cousins and younger siblings and stuff. So I've done a lot of tickling and I thought, oh my goodness, here I taught that is what a place where I can do this better is Mm -hmm. that um, because it's really those subtle things like that where you you can communicate um, this idea of consent. Mm, Wow. You know, and I've actually heard this a couple of times in past clients, you know, saying that that tickling um, comes up in our trauma work that we do. Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize how we have how we can have these influences, especially during those formative years. Absolutely. Mm, wow. And the, you had mentioned there sex positive families. Is that a resource for people to look up or what is yes. that? Yes. It's a great resource. Um, it is on Instagram and Facebook. I believe it's a website. She's got a free ebook. It's oh, a great wow. resource. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I was going to say the one that I typically send parents to is Scarlet Teen. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Heather. Oh, yeah. Me. And actually you can find my work on sex positive families um, in the coming Ooh. months because <gasps> we'll be working together. Oh, this is so exciting. Yay. Yeah. So you can check out her book. You can check out her writings on, on sex positive families. That's, this is, I, I'm loving seeing more and more resources come out. What yeah. other, do you have any other resources that parents can look up? Um, you definitely listed my top two, um, but I will, take, <laughs> I will take an opportunity to talk about my book and how great yeah. I think it is. Oh, um, it's so good. Yeah. I did a lot of research before I uh, started writing this book and reading, you know, the other really great books out there. Um, Heather Karina's book, um, sex is being one of them. And I was like, wow, this is a great book. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that I found is that uh, sex ed books that are available, mostly they are, you know, it's it's an authority that's speaking. And it's sort of, there's this removed um, voice where it's like, you should do this, or this is what, you know, maybe this is, um, here's here's how to do things and here, or here's the information. There's, yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because here we are talking about something so personal mm-hmm. where, you know, the best sex ed conversations that I ever had were conversations where it was like that one-on-one feeling. And I think one example is our bodies ourselves where, you know, there's the essay collection. So that was an exception where I thought, okay, this is relatable. But I thought, well, I wanted to create a sex ed work that was personal. 
And yes, I am just, I am one person. So I'm not representative of like all sexual experience by any means. But I thought if I was willing to talk about my own experience with going through puberty, that it would it would let people know that these are things that are good to talk about. And I talked about some, I talked about some stuff that's very personal in there. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, my own, you know, personal things that you can read about if you would like, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, and I'm like, and I, and I put it out there because I thought what I want people, whether that's young women, young people, um, or people raising them or, you know, or men out there who are curious about women or you know wherever you're coming from because I wanted people to have an insight into that personal experience Uh, and then I you know added in the specific philosophy that I was raised with that is of a um, intentional community that's been successfully living together for 30 years and still going which you know that's you know much about you know intentional communities having one that's running that long is a great sign that they're doing something right wow Yeah. And then I did a lot of research and um, added in, you know, and incorporated the sort of cutting edge information around sex ed. So, you know, I have got these amazing images of the um, internal um, and external clitoris that were contributed um, from the Center for Erotic Intelligence. They're amazing images. And so things like that, where it's like, you know, the it's a, so it's a mesh of these three different elements. And um, I think it's really, it makes it really approachable and um, is a really useful way to get the conversation going. Mm. Oh, I love that. And, you know, as you were talking about modeling before, and you were talking about uh, the, some of the personal stories that you, st- that you share in here, I felt that as well, like seeing these images of what it could look like to have these types of conversations or live in a sex positive environment and uh, can really give people a framework from which they can they can look to because uh, kind of like what we were saying earlier if we weren't if we didn't grow up in this way of communicating about sex then how are we we don't know what we don't know you know and and so you give people this very concrete idea of how they can do that. Absolutely. That was absolutely my intention because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's like people sometimes think like, oh, I could never, you know, uh, replicate this because I, I don't live in a community and I don't live out, you know, in the countryside or whatever, but it's like, you know what, actually, I feel like if a person took one idea that I talk about in that book, one idea that is going to make a positive impact on your life, Mm -hmm. the people around you, people don't, really, I think people don't often think about that, that when you take all these pleasurable viewpoints, you don't just, just by doing so you are making the lives of people around you better because Mm -hmm. you are adding this like little positive little, you know, and they, it's something intangible. I think a lot of the times, but, um, you are, you know, that has a, it has a ripple out effect when you take Mm -hmm. these ideas on for yourself. Mm-hmm. And amid a society right now where a lot of our conversations, you brought this up earlier, are um, revolved around the Me Too movement. And I think it's creating um, not only a buzz and, and a curiosity, but also a lot of confusion of how to, what do we do with that information? What do we do with, with what we're being told here? So from the perspective of um, teaching around pleasure and using that framework, what, how can we... Uh, turn this into concrete 
actions that to create positive change? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a lot of the things that, you know, we've already discussed here, but I think that the, what I, you know, have taken away from, you know, the stories that I've read and been learning about is that people are not approaching sex with pleasure as the goal. Mm -hmm. People are approaching it for all kinds of different reasons, but Mm -hmm. if they were approaching it with, with pleasure as the goal, pleasure for themselves and for their partner, um, we'd be having, if it would be a totally different conversation um, that we'd be having. I, I don't know what that would look like. It would look like the opposite, you know? And <laughs> I feel like, but I think that, you know, one thing that is, one example of this is that, you know, people sometimes tell me like, oh, if I talk about pleasure with my kid, you know, then they're going to learn all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? The odds are, if the person, like a young person in your life has a smartphone or if they have access to a computer, they already know about sex and they know yeah. about it from pornography. And most of the porn out there is not about pleasure. It's, mm-hmm. it's about maybe representing something that some people think is pleasurable. Maybe a facet of that might be pleasurable, but, you know, people are learning about sex in this way that like they think they have to replicate this thing that's you know pretty aggressive Mm. and often be quite violent and you know they're getting a lot of negative ideas about what um, sex is supposed to look like they have these ideas of like you know and this is like these are you know young people are going into their early sexual encounters thinking they have to replicate what they see right and it's like you know if we can teach people these ideas and expose them to these ideas about pleasure that here we have these bodies and they're capable of so much and that is good and this is for you to explore and then it can start with you, just you alone, you know, with that masturbation thing we were talking about, but also other things like brushing your hair and Mm -hmm. shower and like all these fundamental ideas around pleasure and then you know, when they're ready to incorporate another person into their experience, then they will do so from a place of communication and consent and pleasure in mind. So Mm -hmm. it's really about reworking the narrative we have around sex ed, because right now we're sort of telling people like, okay, you know, like in the movie you reference, okay, don't have sex, don't have sex, but um, here's, you know, here's a condom, you know? So, okay. Uh, what is, what is that messaging? You know, first of all, it's talk about, you know, heteronormative. It's like, here's, uh, this is just, you know, for your penetrative sex and um, do what you will. We're not really giving people a lot of options, you know, we're not really right. posing them to more than, you know, um, what you see in, in movies or, you know, online. Yeah. And it's interesting as you were, you know, again, um, encouraging people to describe and define what uh, pleasure means, because I'll get from people, because I talk about, I make my decisions based out of pleasure, you know, or like what feels good for me. And I get a lot of people who are like, isn't that selfish? (laughs) And I'm like, no, because <laughs> yeah. I even frame that, you know, when I ask people what they want, instead of asking them what they want, I ask what feels good for you mm-hmm. to get them to shift into more of a feeling body 
and, and their body intelligence versus just, I don't know, what do you want can seem like a, almost like short circuiting sometimes. It's like, I don't know, I want it all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it puts people back in that results driven mindset where they're like, oh, I think that's something that I have to achieve or something like that. And, you know, and I think um, so exactly encouraging people to start feeling their bodies and basing decisions off of that. Like, does this feel good? Like Mm -hmm. "Hmm, this person's making me this offer. Like, does that feel like it's going to be good or fun or anything Mm -hmm. like that? And, you know, I think too the point that you made about how like people are like, oh, isn't that selfish? I think that's a really interesting one too. Cause you know, sometimes I, people don't necessarily say that to me when I can feel them thinking it when I'm describing this pleasure oriented lifestyle. It's like people think that like, okay, like you're not gonna, um, like you're just some kind of a flake or something like, oh, (laughs) you probably don't wash your dishes and you, you probably, you know, don't have a job or whatever, you know? And it's like, actually that just comes from that, you know, same results production oriented mindset too, where it's like, um, because from my perspective, when you are doing the pl- the next pleasurable thing or you, you have your mind on that, that includes taking care of other people mm-hmm. because that is pleasurable. That includes, you know, you um, doing what your work or, you know, whatever that doing the dishes and all those things because you you're creating a pleasurable lifestyle. It just it, it is an in, it's indicative of the approach you're taking to these things. Not that it is um, sort of sacrifices anything or that you're not going to, you know, uphold the usual standards that we have. You know, it's like you're still going to do all those things. You're just going to have a lot more fun doing it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Who would have thought? What a concept. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's play more. (laughs) Exactly. And I would also say that, you know, there's this difference of, because when we talk about the Me Too movement, we're also talking about this, a lot of um, power differentials there. Mm-hmm. And this, these underlying intentions of sex being more for power or of mm-hmm. course, other types of intentions, but, but you're, you're giving another um, option for intention around Absolutely. sex. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great point that it's, um, the power dynamic, um, at play. And so, yeah, I mean, I really can't, can't say this enough. If people were approaching this area of their lives from pleasure, so much of this would really, it wouldn't be an issue if people were thinking like, Hmm, uh, does this feel good? Is this going to be pleasurable for me? And do I have pleasure of the other person in mind? Is that a goal? Is that something that I want? Mm -hmm. The answer is no, you probably should not do that. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, but people are, we're not training people to ask these kinds of questions or have these kinds of internal dialogues, you know, yeah. they're just thinking like, yeah, if I, if I have sex, then that means I'm a, like, I'm whatever in fill in the yeah. blank. I'm better or I'm cooler or whatever right. it is. And it's like, it's not about that. That's right. That's not why we have these sensing amazing bodies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For status. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing to think about. And yet, um, these have, these types of narratives have formulated how we see sex and the, the scripts that we form around, um, what it means to be a sexual person even. And I'm reminded of, 
Oh God, all the things that me and my friends would talk about, or I'd hear from my friends, like these sex myths, you know, and you're like, oh, you can't get pregnant if you have sex in the hot tub or, you know, like stuff like that. Or, or if you walk, if you walk backwards and spin around like six times underneath the full moon, then you won't get pregnant. And it's like, uh-huh. stuff like that. And, and it's really hurt us, whether we believe it at the time or not, or even some of these have an imprint in us moving forward, or you can't have, you can't get pregnant if you have anal sex or anal sex isn't actually sex. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting one. <laughs> did you yeah. have, which, um, did you have myths that you can think of when you were, when you were growing up? Oh boy. Did I have myths? I don't know if I had myths. I Uh had things that I was intensely curious about. Like (laughs) I was like oral sex was one of those things where I was like, what? Like really people like, you know, especially like oral sex (laughs) on a, on a penis. I was like, Oh my God, people do that. Like, (laughs) you know, and I, but the thing that was interesting, or looking back, it was interesting, is that even I would get, I will, it, that was one of those topics I was so worked up about that I didn't really want to talk about it either. But then eventually, I actually did have an opportunity where, or I created an opportunity where I could talk about it. I think it started mm-hmm. with my sister. She's a little older than me. And, and then, you know, I got a little more comfortable. So I reached out. But it was just sort of like, I, I think, you know, what you're talking about, these myths that we carry, it's like, gosh, it, it was as far as I'm concerned, it all comes out of how, you know, taboo our sexuality is. So then those kinds of things can sort of, um, you know, uh, those things can sort of prosper, you know, because they're, they're, they grow in those dark, um, moist environments, you know, where those areas we don't talk about and shed light on is like, you know, that's, that's how we have people walking around thinking, yeah, you know, anal sex isn't sex, you know, it's like, well, well, then, you know, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraged <laughs> to question these things. Well, how are you defining sex? You know, yeah, so. really. Yeah. And expanding, it, I mean, by looking at the definitions that we hold consciously or unconsciously, we can really explain, expand our pleasure and sexual potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, you know, just that simple question, like, wh- what do you consider sex to be? That, I mean, when I first started thinking about that, um, when I was in the process of writing this book, I thought, wow, that is a really rich topic. And I think you can really get at a lot of those, you know, myths or assumptions that, you know, you've made for yourself. It's just one of many. Yeah. Oof. Wow. This whole conversation is incredibly rich with starting points for people to get inspired and have these types of conversations, not only with their kids, but also with each other. I would highly recommend everybody to share this with their friends who have kids because this, you know, as we're talking, this is our, this is our passion. This is our goal to help change that culture, especially for the younger generation. I wonder, is there anything as we are, as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you would want to leave our listeners with? Yes, I would say, you know, as you're talking about, you know, parent or people sharing this with people who are, um, you know, raising kids. And uh, one of the things that I think about the most when I, because I get a lot of parents who reach out to me who are like, oh, what do I do? You know, <laughs> one of the things that I feel is a lot of fear and anxiety around um it's and the underlying thing is I think people are afraid that their kid is going to 
kind of replicate the experience they had growing up, like their, you know, if they experienced their teen years as really tumultuous or oh, maybe they had a lot of sexual encounters or maybe they had no sexual encounters or whatever, these, you know, these stories that we have about ourselves and our experiences. But I, I feel people sort of like kind of layering that on their kid because they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be a crazy time. Like we have all these ways that we talk about teens, like, oh, tumultuous teens or whatever you say about this, <laughs> you know, but I think the thing that I really want to encourage parents is that um, this take this as a new experience that the your kid the person you're guiding is their own person and that through your attention and your approval on them, you can, you can create a new experience here. They're their own person anyway. So don't, you don't necessarily, you don't need to drag in your story. You can use that as information. It can be, you know, maybe helpful to you, but the, a lot of that fear that I feel from, people raising teens, I think it's based in that idea that they're, they see these other experiences or their own experiences. And they're like, Oh, I don't want that to happen. But it's like, you know, yeah. just take it day by day. And you can know that through, you know, really, if you're happen to be listening to this podcast, you're already on the right track because you're obviously a person who's seeking out more information. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that. And so your book is out now, or at least when we launch this, your book will be out now. <laughs> how can, <laughs> yay. And how can people find you? How can they find your, your book is on Amazon. And so I'll have the links for that in the show notes. How can they find out more about you? Well, you can visit my website, gialin.com and that's Lynn with L-Y-N-N-E. And you can find me on Instagram, gialin.author, and on Facebook, same URL, gialin.author. Those are where I keep put a lot of my sort of daily updates or um, interesting articles that I'm finding about other sex positive people. I'm really active in the sex positive community and um, really um, love sharing that kind of messaging with, uh, with people. Yay. I love it. I love this community. I love what you're doing, all the things. Thank you so much for being on here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun talking to somebody who values uh, pleasure the way you do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Love the pleasure. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lovers. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eatplaysex.com to subscribe to the show, leave us a review on iTunes and connect with me. Get your free ebook on how to have better conversations around sex, because my goal here is to help you to eat, play and sex better. So you can improve your sex life, which we know will improve every aspect of your life. I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.